All right, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And so uh, Kingdom Parents is the title of the message. If you're not a parent, don't worry, this will still apply to you. And uh, Kingdom Parents is the title of the message because there's, Paul's having kind of a family struggle here with the church in Corinth. And uh, there's an authority struggle going on. Now, it seems like it would be more appropriate to talk about Kingdom Parents last week because last week was Father's Day. But I told first service, that's too cliche. And we don't do it like that. I've heard guys say, well, I'll give you a gift the day after Valentine's Day, but not on Valentine's Day. That's just because the guys like forgot about the gift, you know. The text fell on uh, 1 Corinthians 4 today, so we missed it by a week with Father's Day. But we're talking about spiritual authority. We're talking about uh, leadership, about authority, about how to deal with authority, the whole topic of authority. Anytime I say authority, the primary place where we can see that happening is in parenting, but it happens in all sorts of places, in the workplace, as bosses, you know, in uh, churches, spiritual leaders in churches, governmental leaders. There's leadership all over the place. But the primary place in our society where God has given leadership first is in the home. And uh, so here parenting, because Paul even uses that analogy all throughout here, he says, you have many guardians, and he's talking about the 10,000 guardians, they have all the angels watching them, and yet they don't have many fathers, and a lack of uh, true fathering, true parenting, true spiritual authority is something that's sorely missing in our society, we all know it. Authority is something that mankind struggled with since the very beginning, well, almost the very beginning, and it's the thread of authority, is, it's, a, it's a theological thread that runs all the way through the scriptures. There, this is, I, I say this in, um, in premarital counseling, that the Bible's like a tapestry, or it's like one of those films where, you know, it starts, you see one person over here doing something, you see a storyline start here, and you see, a, an, and then you see another storyline start, but you don't see how they relate, and you see a few different storylines, uh, and you don't see how they relate until later in the movie, later in the film, you start to see them weave together, and the Bible does this with theology, there's theological threads where you'll see, uh, and uh, in premarital counseling, I always say this because marriage is one of the huge threads that runs through the text. And authority is another one. When God created our world, one of the big stripes, one of the big uh, central tenets of, of God's design for humanity, he put authority in how things are supposed to work. And so from cover to cover, you see authority as a big deal. When we get to Genesis chapter 3, things get a little messy. That's when... Uh, we decided to reject God as authority and therefore the whole authority thing gets all messed up, right? And so from Genesis 3 all the way until Revelation, there's a huge problem with authority. Eventually in Revelation, we see the true restoration of it. And um, cover to cover, if you watch, I mean, Adam and Eve, they struggled to, to submit to God. Then you watch what happens. If you just walk through the pages of Scripture and think, think about authority and think about leadership, watch what happens. Yeah, Adam and Eve, they fall. By the time you get to Moses, you got God throwing down 10 plagues on Pharaoh and him, you know, the struggle, authority struggle. After that, you watch Israel getting the Ten Commandments from God, where the first four are largely about how to honor and respect him. The fifth one, which is the beginning, about, uh, the beginning of the human interaction commandments, is the first one of them is children, honor your parents, you know, the, the whole authority thing. Then you watch the people of Israel struggle to deal with the authority of Moses, right? Grumble, complain, whine, hate submitting to, to Moses. They're always saying, we had a better in Egypt and all that stuff, you know, in the struggle. And then Moses loses his patience with them, and God tells him to speak to a rock, and he'll provide water out of it. And what does Moses do? 
Yeah, he takes his paddle and he cracks it on the rock. You know, he's lost his patience. He's lost his frustration. And he just beats the rock because he's like, I, I, there's no way that uh, I, I'm keeping my patience with these guys. And it was, it, was not about, um, it was not about love in that moment for Moses. He struggles and he loses it. He doesn't love his people. And then um, after that, you watch the period of Judges. And you remember what happens in Judges? It says, each man does what is right in their own eyes. That's a bad scene. That's just a really bad scene. When you read the book of Judges, it's horrible. Then you get into Kings. And when you get into Kings, this is one of the greatest moments of the whole topic of authority. If you're tracking the topic of authority throughout the scriptures, when you get to Kings, this is where it comes to, in some ways, a culmination, at least in the Old Testament. And this is where you see David in his struggle with Saul. You know, where he's anointed king and he does nothing but support Saul, but the madman king who doesn't care anything about David, he should be empowering and equipping this guy to do great work for the kingdom, but instead he's jealous and angry and his pride's hurt, and so he chases him, spends all of the kingdom's time chasing around this guy who he's afraid of. I mean, just it's it's horrible, horrible picture of leadership. And yet David submits under that and respects and honors him. And then a, a few chapters later, you look, and David has become king because Saul has died. And then his son becomes rebellious and wants to take the throne from him and does for a little while. And David backs off and he doesn't, he doesn't crush him or anything. He just kind of trusts God with that whole scene. If you ever want to read something awesome, one of my top five favorite books is... Uh, a Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. Incredible book. It's a, it, it, if you uh, don't read much and you want to listen to it, go to christianaudio.com and you can download it there. It takes you an hour and a half to listen to it. Okay, so right, while you're on a, in the car or while you're working out or something like that, put the earphones in, listen to it, okay? Awesome book, and it's all about that struggle, about how do you deal in a situation where you're a leader and there's someone who's really testing you or from the other end what happens when you're under a boss who's really you know hard to work with and you look through the picture of this beautiful playwright it was written in playwright uh, about the story of of david and saul and then david and absalom anyway from there you go into daniel shadrach meshach and abednego you remember these guys and the struggle around authority I mean, this is a big deal because now they're under authority and they're trying to respect and honor their authority and they're actually rising through the ranks doing great stuff with their authority. But then they have, actually have to defy their authority, which goes against the general teaching of Scripture, but they have to do it because they're submitting to the greater authority of Christ. And God just hooks them up, delivers them, saves them from lions and fiery furnaces and all sorts of things. It's awesome. Then in the line of David, where do we get to next but the Messiah? We get to God himself coming down and putting on a clinic for us around what authority actually looks like. And so he comes down and he first starts pointing out the religious leaders of the day. And he says, they're whitewashed sepulchers, they're blind guides, they're evil shepherds. And then he, and, and all because they're selfish and they don't care at all about their sheep, they only care about themselves. But then he reveals himself as the great shepherd as he lays down his life for his sheep. And he does anything he needs to in order to protect his sheep. And in the meantime, he submits to his bride. He loves his bride. The form of submission of a husband to a bride is to love in Ephesians 5. And the picture of it is Christ submitting to the church, submitting to his bride by loving her in order to wash her and cleanse her. And there's, he also submits to his father and, and respects and honors his father. Now, 
After that, you get into, and this is all to lead into this thing. When you get to the epistles, you get to the epistles, and the epistles start talking about how we deal with authority. And these are, whenever we talk about the topic of authority in the church, pretty quickly people go to the epistles. And they talk about like, all right, Ephesians, children obey your parents. And they talk about uh, Ephesians, wives, submit to your husbands. What? You know, and, they, and you hear uh, slaves and, and masters and all of that. And it says like, slaves submit to your masters. We're like, how can that even be in the scriptures? This is insanity, you know, but a different sort of thing back then. But still, there's the authority. And Peter, in 1 Peter, tells these Christians to submit to their governing authority, who's basically Nero, who's about to off all the Christians, you know? And he's telling them to submit to him. But when we read that stuff, and we read it in isolation, and we don't see the story of the Scripture, the story of authority through the Scriptures, and we just read it as a cold, hard fact, here, do this, we're missing the perspective. You see, God put authority in place in our life for a very important purpose and for important reasons, and it weaves all throughout the story of humanity. And when you get to the epistles, they give us theology, and they show us what Christ did, and they unpack the cross for us. And at the end, then they apply that in practical principles to our life. And says, if the cross of Christ can transform me, then guess what that can do? It can get me to submit, even in a difficult situation. Whether that's caring for people who don't respect me, or whether that's respecting and honoring people who don't seem to appreciate appreciate me, you know, and that's how the gospel, the, the, the letters unpack that for us. Now, that's the theology all throughout the, that's the theological thread throughout the text, but we have a problem in our society, and, and the problem and the tension around our ability to deal with authority appropriately is the fact that we're all selfish because of what happened at the fall. So selfishness works itself out in both the leader's life and in the follower's life, and I want you to help me this morning without having a whiteboard up here or pre-prompted PowerPoint, I want you to help me and say, how is it that leaders reveal selfishness? How do leaders reveal selfishness? If you have selfish leaders, how does that show up? How do they use their power? What are they interested in? Help me out. We all know this. Different ways. We've all experienced it. Help me out. Interactive. Okay. Okay, so they're greedy. When they're, what, are they, what are they interested in? Money. Money's one thing. Themselves. What things about themselves? Control. They want a, a sense of control. What else? How they look to other people. Popularity. They want popularity. They want money. They want control. Anything else? What's that? They want power. They, yeah, absolutely. They want power. They want... They want to flex their muscles sometimes, you know. They want, to, they want that pride thing. There's all sorts of places where we've seen leaders go wrong. Another thing is they just get indifferent and lazy and exhausted and don't feel like dealing with it anymore. So they don't care, you know. Any of you parents ever been there? <laughs> you know. Um, and that's one of the, that, these are all struggles for leaders. And you watch. 
Leaders all the time, they struggle on both sides of it. They want to get selfish, so they want to exploit their position of power in order to accomplish what it is they want to accomplish because they have identity issues and they need to feel better about themselves, so they need to accomplish a bunch of stuff, so they'll exploit people in order to get it done so they can feel better about themselves, so they can have another notch on their belt. Or they want people to like them, and they're not actually interested in helping people get where they need to go. They just want people to like them, so they'll listen to what the people want, and they'll do whatever the people want because they're interested in being liked and that's what the people want isn't what the people need you know and so they'll do what people want to be popular instead of having courage they have fear and they fear men instead of fearing God and having courage and all of those different things are things you see working themselves out in leadership all across the pages of scripture and all across our lives when we watch authority and we watch politics and we watch our workplace and we watch our homes and we watch all that stuff work itself out now how about followers Followers, those of us who find ourselves under authority, when we're selfish, how does that manifest itself? What do we do? Complain. Bam! We complain. We do it all the time. That's actually the number one. I mean, at, at first service, I'm impressed, man. At first service, it took us a long time to get to the complaint one. And yet complaint, when you look at the Old Testament and you look at Israel... Oh my goodness, you know, and so complaint, that's one of them, complaint, what else? We won't respect and we won't honor, we won't give them any respect, we won't give them any slack, you know, leaders are human too, you know, we won't give them any, any respect or any honor, what else? Complain, another big one, okay, so we're selfish too. We're selfish too. We try to take from the system instead of helping and playing. Anything else? We always think we do it better. And there, there's a word under that that's called rebellion. You know, rebellion's a little more acute, but that independent spirit, I got this, I'm arrogant. And oftentimes that manifests in rebellion, which is like, you can't tell me what to do. You know, and we get big inside of us, you know, and we have our pride. So there's the rebellion, there's the complaining, there's the selfishness. There's also this one. There's the laziness, you know, where we don't actually feel like doing what we're supposed to. So we sit back and the reason we'll criticize and all of that is because we won't take responsibility for ourselves and we want it to be on the leader. And then when the leader doesn't fix all of our problems, we get mad at the leader because we don't take our own responsibility. From both sides of the equation, there's selfishness that's been horrific all throughout the history of humanity. And then what ends up happening is, is neither the, the authority nor those in uh, following authority can trust the other right? And so now you revert into those patterns more easily because I can't, I can't trust these people to carry their weight or to do their thing or to understand what I'm trying to do. So I'm just going to force it and I'm going to get done and they, and they go over the top. And even if it's not perfectly selfish motives, they're in a fear and distrust. So they drive it, you know, and same thing with the, with people who are following. Oh man, I've heard all this from leaders before. I know what they're about, you know. And I'm not even listening to this, you know. Nah, 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 nah. You know, and, and never give it a chance. And you find that. I mean, if you work, you've seen it. If you have a family, you've seen it, you know. And if you've been in a church, you've seen it, you know. This is, it's life inside of authority in all the structures. Certainly, if you exist where there's a government, you've seen it, you know. Any place there's authority, these principles work themselves out. This is not new, obviously, and by the time Paul was interacting with Corinth, that pattern was well established in humanity, and Paul stumbles across this problem with the church of Corinth. Okay, and now, you remember what Paul's been doing with the church of Corinth for the first three chapters. 
He's been taking them back to the heart of the gospel. And he's been telling them, you're independent, you're self-reliant, you're self-made, you think that spiritual maturity is about how much you know and how wise you are, but I'm here to tell you that you forgot that it's about the cross of Christ. And the smaller we get and the bigger he gets, the better things get. And we're here chasing human leaders and all of that stuff, but it's because we're self-interested instead of dependent on God. And he's been taking them to task around the gospel. However, and it seems like he should just close up his argument at this point, because he's really refined the gospel in their minds again. But there's a problem. It's not okay for him to just get them back to the heart of what the gospel's about. They actually need to find a way for that to be sustained, ongoing in their life, which means they actually need authority who will hold them accountable to the gospel. This is why he says, I'm sending Timothy to you to remind you of the lifestyle in which I live. Because he's saying, you got the gospel. You got that you got to depend on God and it's all about the cross. That spiritual maturity isn't about how much you know beyond the cross. It's about how much the cross gets into every corner of your life. But you need accountability around that. When I played soccer at school, I remember, um, you know, when I, when I went from high school, high school soccer for where I was at anyway was just pure, pure athletic talent. Nothing, you know, whoever had the most athletic talent pretty much won. You, you boom ball, you kick the ball out there. Whoever was faster getting to the ball, whoever could kick the ball harder, whatever, they kind of won. You get to college and you got a ton of athletes, you know, who were all their, you know, fastest, best all. And, and strategy really becomes important. And you got to start listening to the coach a lot more. And I remember a coach on the first day that, we, you know, for the first week, all you do is just run like crazy and he expects you to die. And anyone who doesn't die, then, you know, you're, you can make the team. And then if you didn't die and you show up for the first scrimmage, you know, he's like, all right, guys, play. Let me see what you got. And you get out there and play and you see guys running vertical lines up the field, just going straight lines up the field. And he's like, if I ever see you run a straight line again, you're off this team. And you're like, what are you talking about? I scored so many goals in high school this way. He's like, diagonal. You got to run diagonal. You're not going to be able to outrun these defenders. If you want to give your guy some a target to hit, you can't run straight up the field and have him lofted over you. You got to cut across the field so you give him a target to hit you. You got to all crossing patterns, okay? So then the next scrimmage, the next time we get out there, we line up and we go to play. And what do you think happens? Straight lines, Right? Because even though he told us the concept and we get it, you actually need a coach to sit there, an authority figure to remind you. And if you don't remember, he'll make sure you remember because you'll be running monsters the rest of the practice if you don't remember. I don't have any bitterness about this or anything. The, the, I, and like you need that kind of reminding. You need a, we need authority in our lives, don't we? Because if we think that we can actually sustain the gospel in our lives without the help of authority and without the help of community, we are incredibly arrogant and deeply deceived. We are in desperate need of authority in our lives. And what Paul says is this. This is how he starts off that whole thing in chapter 4. Remember he says, So then men ought to regard us, that's the authority figures, the apostles, as servants of Christ... It's about the gospel. It's about Christ. It's about what he's doing. But we are servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. We are given the perspective from God to help keep others connected to that gospel. 
That's his job. He's the coach. That's why he sent in Timothy to coach, to be the personal trainer. But when we think of personal training, we think about someone we hire to help us. This is a whole nother thing. This is like a parent who's an authority figure. And authority figures are harder to handle than personal, uh, uh, what did I just say, trainers. You know, personal trainers are the person we hire to help us out. But a parent, they're the authority figure. And we've got to listen to them whether we like it or not. You know, and that's a lot tougher. And that's what's going on with Paul because he just explained the gospel to them and they got it. But what they want is to say, all right, we got it. Thanks. You're out, out of here. You know, we got Apollos when we like him or whatever. And we'll use you guys as we want as our authority figures, but get off my back, you know? And that's what they, they're trying to say with Paul. They just don't like Paul at this point. They're not, they're not, they don't, they're not liking him. You know, they're sick of him. And that's what happens with authority figures. We get sick of them, you know? Even good ones, we get sick of them because we get sick of being hemmed in, you know? And we get sick of people telling us what to do. Anyway, so they're pushing, they're pushing at him, and Paul knows this. He knows that he has to be present in their life because they'll get off track. And like a good parent, he really cares about them. And so how now is he going to get them to actually submit to him so that he can lead them in the gospel so that they can do well in their lives? Because if they don't submit to him, and if they won't honor and respect him, if they won't listen to him, he can't hold them accountable. Because coach might tell them to run diagonals instead of straights, but if they're just like, whatever, we don't really care, well, then it's not effective anyway. You know, they actually have to have respect for him. And so what ends up happening here is Paul is leaning into them trying to get respect back from them. And he's like, a, he's like a parent with a teenager who knows, like, I know what my kid needs and I care, but when I'm telling the kid this, the kid just thinks it's a power struggle between me and them. You know, that's what the kid thinks, is this is a power struggle, but it's not, it's a love struggle. It is a love struggle. I'm not interested in just having it go my way, you know. I'm interested in helping them succeed. And, and so I need to find a way to get them to respect me and honor me. All of us need authority because uh, for obvious reasons, authority is one of those things that's like air, you know? You don't appreciate it until it's gone. And all of a sudden, like, how, my, how many of us were just thinking like, man, I love air today. You know, we're not, we're not thinking that. But then all of a sudden, air's gone. Find yourself underwater for a minute. And, and all of a sudden, we really appreciate air. You know, you come up, that first breath you take, if, if you get held under a wave, that first breath you get when you finally come back up, you really appreciate air, you know? And all the time, we don't appreciate air, and all the time, we don't appreciate authority. But imagine what would happen in our society right now if authority just disappeared, it just vanished. Think about it for a second. We have a major problem with parenting in the world. We always have. Parenting's been an issue for a long, long time. You know, in America, there's a pandemic of bad parenting, right? We all know it. Any of you who are school teachers are like, oh my goodness, yes, we have a problem, you know, and all of that. But imagine if there were no parents, you know? Would you rather have bad parents or no parents, you know? Because we, we actually, no matter what the damage is, the collateral damage from bad parenting, imagine if there were no parents. There's no shelter. There's no food. Kids got to fend for themselves. Everybody's an orphan. There's no, like, it'd be horrific. And we can complain about the bad part of the authority. 
But let's appreciate the fact that there is still that authority structure. Imagine if there was no government at all, complete anarchy. We think that would work out well? I don't think so, you know? Disastrous, absolute disaster. What would happen in society if there was no government right now, if it just disappeared? Man, there'd be nuclear bombs flying all over the place, and there'd be, you know, like, we'd be done. We'd be done. And without authority, things go are really messed up. What's more about why we need authority is this. Galatians 5, Josh was quoting from Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit in our prayer time. The beginning of that chapter, Galatians 5, 1, tells us why Christ set us free. One verse. Anybody remember what it is? There's a reason why he set us free. It's for the sake of freedom that he set us free. Well, that seems self-evident, you know? Like, okay, thanks. But there's actually something underneath of that. If you unpack it a little bit, there's something underneath of that. That it's for the sake of freedom that he set me free. What is he talking about with this freedom? You know, obviously he's not just talking about religious freedom or political freedom. You know, people in, do people in North Korea and China and Saudi Arabia who have faith, do they have less of the ability to have the freedom of Christ than I do? No, as a matter of fact, some will argue that they have more of an ability to experience the freedom of Christ. Why is that? Let me explain. If you go to the weight room and you want to work out a little bit, you lay down on the bench and you put a bar on the bench, but you don't put any weights on it, and you, and you just start doing this, how much muscle are you going to build? Not a whole lot. But then you start putting weights on, and there's resistance. And when there's resistance, now I'm starting to build muscle. My spirit, internally, has been set free by Christ. And there is a whole cause of freedom, a whole kingdom of freedom that he wants to establish. But that has to work itself out in my life. And in order for me to learn how to experience the freedom that's inside of me, I actually have to have resistance on the outside. Authority is that resistance. Not the only form of resistance, but it's a primary form of resistance. Good authority will put restraints on me. Bad authority will dominate me and exploit me. But either way, it will be restraint in my life. It will be resistance in my life. It will be pressure and conflict in my life. And when I am in a situation like North Korea or like China or Saudi Arabia or one of those places where you know, freedom of worship is not available, I have to learn how internally to experience God and experience freedom on the inside because the outside doesn't offer the freedom. So I have to learn to develop the spirit of freedom on the inside. And I exercise that. Authority in our life is one of the primary ways that God gives, gives us the ability to learn to exercise true spiritual freedom. Oftentimes people think that tight authority in our lives that we don't agree with is a restriction of freedom. Biblically speaking, that's how we find freedom. David, under Saul, he didn't have any political freedom from Saul, and yet he found huge internal freedom. Absalom, under David, seemed to have all sorts of freedom out here, and yet in here, he was held chained by his sin. You know? Authority is a big issue. It's a really, really big issue in our lives and how we deal with it. Paul decides to move on to his next interaction with them in 6 to 13, and the whole portion of 6 to 13, he begins to use sarcasm. I don't know, did did you catch that when he's like, Oh, you guys have become kings. I wish that we became kings with you. You guys are so smart and you're so strong, but we're fools and, 
you know, and we're weak and all of that. You hear him saying it, right? He's just using it. And you know what's going on there? You know, and, and then he goes on after that to tell them about all the things that he's going through as an apostle. And this is like the moment when, when an authority figure uh, who, who cares about the ones who are following them is distrusted and they finally have to say, look, you need to listen right now to what's happening. Have you ever done this as a parent? This is, this is a moment uh, um, where parents have to do this every now and then where you say, look, if I was going to live life the way I wanted to live it, it wouldn't look like this. You know, if I was just going to run after every whim that I had and live it for my pleasure, I wouldn't live it like this. This isn't just about my pleasure. I love you and I'm called to love you. And so I sacrifice. And this is how I sacrifice the, the food that's on your table, the roof that's over your head. Guess how I spend my time and my energy and how I do all this. I live my life in order to benefit you. Trust me. You know, hear that I'm on your side. This isn't a power struggle. This is a love struggle, you know. And, and of course, that's, that's a lot, it's pretty difficult for the kid to hear or the follower to hear. And yet, that's exactly what Paul's doing. He's saying to the church of Corinth, he's like, you're, you're pushing against me right now and you're not receiving me as a leader, but I'm, I'm trying to tell you, I love you. Look at my life. I'm spending myself on your behalf. We're the scum of the earth. Like, we don't have food. We don't have anything. Have you seen our lives? We're falling apart. You know, and that's what Paul's saying. He's like, we've exhausted ourselves. You know, uh, please, please, just, just let us be the parent here. You know, I trust that we're doing, that we care, you know, and that's what, that's what Paul's doing with him. Um, and, you know, for the follower, while that sounds great to us as we're reading about Paul in Corinth, once we find ourselves in that situation, it's a whole, a whole nother uh, ball game when we're in the middle of it. And we have a tendency to do this thing where we take our authority figure and we put our authority figures out in front of us and we put ourselves on a, judge, a judge's seat and we say to the authority figure, I will say whether or not you're doing a good job. And if you're doing a good job, then I will respect and honor you and I will submit to you, you know? Which means, in essence, that we don't have an authority figure other than ourselves, because we'll only submit to them to the extent that we agree, that we agree with them. So we're only submitting to ourselves. We're not actually ever submitting to them when we disagree with them. We're not ever honoring or respecting when we disagree. And therefore, we lose authority in our life. And this ha- is what has happened in our in our society, even though we still have placeholders of authority in our society that keep things from being total chaos, we don't actually have the honor and respect for authority that gives the ability for us to truly experience the freedom of God that comes through that authority. So that's what they're trying to do. And Paul says this. I love what he says. He says, don't judge me. Actually, I don't even care if you judge me. Feel free to judge me. I don't care if you do. I don't even judge myself. And what he's saying is because basically... I don't even know if I'm doing a great job. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. He said, the only one who can say I'm innocent is God because he's the judge. You see, true authority never, we can never tell how well authority works until down the road, you know? And one of the, you know, uh, George W. Bush was an extremely controversial uh, political figure in recent history. And yet he had this one thing that, uh, that I can say without worrying about how anyone's going to react to that, I think. He had this uh, interview um, with, I don't know, it was like Diane Sawyer or someone after, afterward. Um, and uh, in the interview, they said, do you think you were a good president? 
You know, because there's all this controversy around you. Do you think you're a good president? And he's like, I'm not in a place where I can say whether I'm a good president or not. He said, there's only one judge of whether or not I'm a good president. History. You know, over time, people will figure out whether or not I made good decisions or not. I don't really know. I did the best of the information I had. Maybe I messed it up. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. But, um, you know, we'll see. Time will tell. And he even said, it'll be long after I'm gone that people figure out whether I was actually a good president or not. That actually is leaving space for this kind of mentality where good leadership, you don't expect kids to know whether their parents are doing a good job, right? I mean, if you ask a kid, hey, is mom doing a good job? No, why not? She didn't give me 12 ice cream sandwiches today. Well, you know, mom's doing a great job as far as I'm concerned, but who knows? Maybe we'll find out later that ice cream sandwiches keep you from getting cancer or something, and then we'll say she did a terrible job. You know, like over time we find out what leadership actually produces. You find out what parenting produces, not in the moment, you know, one of the things is in church leadership, you're supposed to, if a person's in church leadership, they're supposed to have a certain kind of thing going on at home. They're supposed to be good parents at home. But it's really easy to judge that inappropriately and to say, well, if they're having problems with kids at home, that means they're not good parents. Well, come on, then God's not a good parent because we're all messed up, you know, and we're his kids, you know. And so that doesn't actually make sense. What makes sense is, is in the long haul, you watch what happens. In the long haul, you're faithful to God. You do what you're supposed to do. You deal with the situations appropriately, and you let God take care of the rest. And you watch over time and over an expanse. You get to see if good leadership produces good results, right? And that's, that's a long-term thing, not a short-term thing. And, and really, this side of eternity, we don't get to judge, you know? And that's what Paul's saying. And so it's very dangerous for us to take our leaders and to decide that we're judges over them. Because we eliminate authority from our lives. And we eliminate the ability for God to actually bring us freedom through those authority figures in our life. And what's more is, is it's irrational because we don't even know whether or not they're doing a good job anyway. There are times eventually with authority figures, and this comes to the end of the chapter, where Paul uh, displays what authority figures have to at some point. Where they've tried to explain why you need authority. Then they've tried to appeal and say, this is what I'm doing. This is good authority figures. This is what I'm doing, sacrificing on your behalf. Please trust me. I'm showing you that I'm really selling out for you. But then he gets to the final phrase. And you can tell Paul doesn't actually think that any of those things are going to stick with the Corinthian church because he gets to the last verse. And it's obvious that he thinks he needs to go a step further. And he says this, what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip? or in love with a gentle spirit. I mean, honestly, imagine if, what, imagine if our district moderator said, this year, I know, I'm picking on you, man. I'm sorry. We appreciate the prayers. Appreciate you coming, Bob. But imagine if one of our, by, see, this is the thing. When you're a district moderator, it's very difficult because you're the leader, uh, uh, you're a leader, a facilitator for a year, you know? And uh, you're elected and you're serving in this position, but you still catch all the flack. Even though you have no control over anything that's happening anywhere, you catch all the flack. Isn't that how it works? Catch all the flack, but have none of the power. It's amazing how that works. Um, but, you know, uh, when you're in a position of leadership and uh, you understand that there needs to be the respect given, not because you're power hungry, but because you need that respect and honor in order to help people along. If you go after that, all of a sudden you're suspect. Right? If you start talking about that, now that leader is suspect. I need your submission and your honor and respect. Well, yeah, okay, all right. You know, here we go. But uh, so Paul is like, 
I, I, I'm trying to show them I love them. I'm trying to get them back on my team. But then at the end, he's like, but listen, if you guys don't shape up, I'm busting out a whip, you know? And this is, this is again, love. I mean, this is a form of love where he's saying, just like a, a parent with a child, I, I'm going to have to discipline you. I know you don't get it, and you won't trust me with this thing, so now I have to bring it, you know? And, um, and that's the way leadership works in our lives. It's the way it works for those of us who are parents who have to bring it. It's those of us who are under authority or in authority in any given way. Now, here's the last portion of this, is that if you step into authority, if you become a parent, if you become a teacher of the scriptures, if you become a deacon or an elder, if you become uh, a, a, a boss at work, if you become whatever, if you become any position of leadership, you're stepping into a position that's precarious at best because now you have a boss and you have a judge and that judge is God. And that's a scary thing because he doesn't miss anything. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a scary thing to be uh, under the authority of God. And this is why there's a high, high call on those who are shepherds of kids, shepherds of churches, shepherds of workplaces, because our call is to lay down our life for the sheep. And it's appropriate that today there was the video about the kids and how do we care for our kids here at Parker Ford Church? How do we care for our kids at home? How do we care? And sometimes that means bringing the heat a little bit, you know, and laying it down. Sometimes that means swallowing our pride and, and dealing with where they're at and being patient, you know. But in the end, we do what it takes to be faithful to God's call and responsible to God's call as a leader in order to allow that person to have the best chance at connecting with God, you know. And uh, our authority figures aren't always like that. And us as leaders, we're not always like that. Us as followers, we go the other way. Um, but I want to end with a few basic principles that apply to both, okay? And it's this. We are both of these things at the same time. We're all, obviously, followers of Christ. We say that Parker Ford Church is people following Christ. We are in a place of submission just by being human, okay? And uh, so by being human, we are followers. We all have authority figures. We're all under government. We're all, all, all following. We're also all leaders. If you are a follower of Christ, you are by definition a leader. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are a leader, like it or not. That means there's a responsibility on your life by God that you will be held accountable for. We are both followers and leaders. Submission works both ways. We submit to authority by honoring and respecting, even and especially when we disagree. We can do that honorably. We can disagree honorably and respectfully and still submit without causing problems. We invest. We take the model of David, the model of Jesus, the model of those who bore up under situations that were difficult and learned to submit appropriately, okay? But we also submit when we're leading by laying down our lives. Our lives are not the important life. Those who we are leading, that's the important life, and we submit by submitting our lives to a cross in many ways on behalf of them, okay? Uh, Then we always have to remember that God is the one who's ultimately in charge. God is the provider. God is the sustainer. It's all about God. If I'm in a place of leadership and I'm worried about whether or not I can get these people from here to there, my kids, if I can get them to act like this, 
Well, now all of a sudden the pressure's on me. I'm not trusting God to do his work and I'm going to drive them and pound them until they get there instead of trusting God. If I'm in a position where I'm being led and I don't trust God, now I trust the leader. And therefore, if the leader is failing, I have to freak out because if that leader's failing, everything's going to fall apart. But I don't have to freak out if the leader's failing because I'm not trusting the leader. I'm trusting God, you know? And his principles are clear. And so my job is this, throughout the scriptures, is to recognize that there is one true authority. And he reveals himself through the authority of the word of God, which is why we stand in honor of it at the beginning of the message when we read it. And we understand that he is the ultimate authority. And every position of authority that I find myself in, whether I am standing in authority or under authority, and all those places, I recognize that God prescribes and, and, and writes and storytells all around those topics in his scripture. And I have one job around authority, to be super intentional about taking the principles in his word and applying them to those situations and those relationships in my life, right? So if I am under authority, I figure out how they did it here under authority, and I listen, and I don't just let it happen. I get intentional. How can I honor and respect and support and pray for my authorities? If I'm not looking for ways to do that, then I'm not honoring and respecting. That, that doesn't mean that I don't cause problems. It means that I figure out how to respect and support. It's intentional. And in the same way, if I'm in a position of authority, I figure out how to lay my life down on behalf of those God has placed under my leadership. And I have to figure that out. And I have to be intentional about that. It doesn't just happen on its own. It happens when we take God seriously and we integrate his word into our lives. Amen? All right, let's let God be in charge. Let's pray.